0: Welcome to Change Nation. My wonderful and surprised guest today is a songwriter, screenwriter, director, actor, and also now recently a novelist, certainly someone who epitomizes what we stand for here at Change Nation, which is he's had many changes personally and professionally. His work has earned him an Oscar, a Golden Globe Award, as well as nominations for three additional Oscars, two more Golden Globes, six Grammy Awards, and also two Tony Awards. I hope I got that right. If you've ever sang the song Fame, I'm going to live forever, or seen the film Footloose, well, the genius behind this is the very talented Dean Pitchford. He's also great, a great author and novelist now with the release of his new book, Captain Nobody, which we're also going to talk about as well. So, Dean, what a pleasure. Welcome to our little Change Nation show. I know our studio is probably a little bit smaller than what you're used to being. Isn't you know,
1: I have been, I've, I've been in crawl spaces the size of a cardboard box, and... And then others where the ceiling comes off and the doors open up. And, and great this,
0: things happen in small things absolutely and small spaces. Yeah, good things come in little packages. Do. So, Dean, did you know what you wanted to do with your life? Could you have planned and predicted what's happened, who you've become? When you were oh, a kid, did you know no. this was what was going to be? No,
1: I had no idea. I was, I mean, first of all, Ariane, I was born in Honolulu. So I was born on a rock in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. In the same hospital as Barack Obama.
0: Wow. Yeah. What's the name of the hospital?
1: Queen Kapilani Maternity Hospital.
0: Okay, good. So anyone who's pregnant, if you want great kids, (laughs) that's where you got to go 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 them. Right there.
1: Hold it, it. hold it, hold it, go to Kapilani. And so, um, you know, growing up in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, everything was so far away and so impossible. Um, But what I did do was I dreamed a lot. And... um, There was a magazine, which unfortunately is no longer published, called Life Magazine. And Life Magazine would arrive every week, and I would flip through the pages, and there would be pictures of all over America. And I conceived of America as a place much like the island that I lived on, which we could drive around in a day. Except that in the magazine, their America looked a lot more interesting than my America, because I could go to the Golden Gate Bridge and Radio City Music Hall and Yellowstone Park in a day, I thought... And then as I grew older, you know, and I began to make plans, I think, oh, wow, wouldn't it be great to go to New York and be on Broadway or go to Los Angeles and make movies, having no idea that the the walls that I would meet. Um, And I never thought about it until I got into the business. Actually, I got, every time I started into another profession, I was met with unexpected success. And then I learned how difficult it was, and it was almost like it tripped me up. I went, oh, my God, this is going to be really, really hard. And I started to watch my step a little bit more carefully. It was that headlong approach that got me my first theater job when I was 19, and then my first song when I was 27, 28, and my first Academy Award within nine months. And so uh, it, was, it was an interesting journey because in some cases I actually chose my path But I have to confess that for the most part, I have been dragged kicking and screaming from one profession to another without realizing that I'd always been preparing for it. While I was an actor, I was writing songs just for the heck of it.
0: Now, when you're writing some of the songs that we've all known to love and dance to and go crazy to, do you have a sense they were going to be huge? Like, do you know what's going to be a winner?
1: No, I mean, because... What you eventually learn is that there are... You can write a really great song, and I've written wonderful, wonderful songs that have gone off the edge and into the abyss, and we never hear from them again. Um, So you you hope that you write a really good song, and then you hope that the artist who sings it does it well, and that the record gets mixed well. You hope that the A&R person who represents you at the label... Continues to stay in their job until the release of the record. You hope that the record label is not gobbled up by some international. You hope that some other artist doesn't come and push your release date out of the way. There's so many factors, and when they all mesh together, you just sort of go, "Oh thank goodness!" But it's you. There's no absolutely no way of going killer. So, so true Dean, thing.
0: Here's what I wanted to ask you: How does the creative process work for you? Do you sit at a desk? Do you go walk on a beach? Do you make yourself write a song, write a book, write a screenplay? How does it work for Yes. Is it just yes, you're, all of that. you're on a plane, it comes to you?
1: It has come to me on a plane. I wrote the finale for Fame. I sing The Body Electric while I walked up Columbus Avenue to a friend's cocktail party. And <clears throat> I had actually... Now, I, I'm not to say that it just came to me like that because I had been doing sketches and working and working and writing things down. I used to think it was like the uh, the Shoemaker's Elves where you'd go to bed at night and you'd wake up in the morning and the, the shoes would all be done, the elves would come in yeah. the night. And what I realized is, no, I've got to cut the leather and I've got to prepare the needles and I've got to string all the... And maybe then some assembly gets done and I wake up in the morning then there's that bolt of inspiration. You hear so much about... But no, the fact is that I've always just been kind of a journeyman. I just pull up my sleeves and I just go to work. And when I'm writing a book or writing a screenplay, I sit down every morning at 10 o'clock, take no phone calls and work Mm -hmm. until 1 o'clock. And then however much or however little I've done, I stop. I take care of all my business in the afternoon, but I keep that schedule. Um, And there's nothing woo-woo. About it, I just get really serious about it.
0: What would you tell someone who's watching this who doesn't think they're creative or talented? Do you think everyone's got that spark? Like a lot of people have just learned to believe that's not who they are, and yet they're watching this, there's a yearning.
1: If there's a yearning, then there is that spark. I've found that there are two types of people. Those who go, oh, I have something inside me that I want to say, and others who say, I just don't know why you do what you do. It just doesn't interest me. So those people I'd say no, but the people who, for whom there is that, that, that yearning, I would say um, the only way to, to write is to write. Uh, I, when I first began my songwriting, trying to become a songwriter, I wrote really terrible songs. I wrote bad songs for quite a long time and I got so discouraged that I actually with a friend we were both trying to aid and abet each other's careers and we went you know what this is just terrible let's just put it aside and I began to miss it which is another thing that says that you really have to be doing this and I I finally went back to it I called her one day and I said you know what I realized we're going to write a lot of before we write the good stuff so let's just let's just write the shit let's just go ahead and do that and I did. And I continued to write really bad stuff for a while, and then slowly, slowly, slowly it began to turn. But I realized that I had to get all that out of the way. It's not like one day you write badly and the next day you wake up and you make that leap over to... You just have to write it out. And that's generally, even when I begin a lyric that goes on to become a hit song, it started as a bad lyric. It started as many, many drafts that I would never show anybody.
0: Didn't you sing your own songs?
1: I used to sing my own demos. Uh, And then when I started, because at the beginning of my career, I thought, hey, I've been on Broadway, I'm going to go in and sing these songs. Then when I really began to work in the studio with studio singers, and I began to go, oh my God, they have been doing all of their lives what I was doing to get to Broadway. They have a a knack for the microphone, for harmonies, for whatever. I'm just going to step back. And from that point on, I sat at the, uh, the control booth and produced other people.
0: Out of all the changes you've made professionally, what is the best change you feel you've made?
1: I think the best change that I could have made for myself was stopping performing and turning to my writing. Because, <coughs> excuse me, although I had long harbored this feeling that I was going to be an actor and I came to New York and I did Broadway, I was cast in Godspell and then I went into Pippin and I worked with Bob Fossey and Ben Vereen and made over a hundred commercials. I also recognized that my shelf life was limited. And also I was a dancer and I had by that time broken my left ankle twice and I had torn ligaments and I'd thrown out my back and I was just looking way down the road at, you know, how much longer can I continue to beat myself up like this? And then the writing began to sneak in off you know, from the left side, and I kept going. But but I want to perform. I want to act. I want to perform. And finally, the the, the offers for the songwriting became so overwhelming that I reluctantly left my uh, acting agents. And within three months, I thought, What was I thinking? Wow! And I was up to my neck in songwriting work.
0: What's the hardest change you've ever made?
1: I don't know that I've made. The, once I moved to the songwriting, that opened the door to all kinds of other writing. And then I, I began thinking of screenwriting, why not? And that's what led to the novel writing, why not? Um, it was the, the big paradigm shift was the going from performing and using my body. It's
0: really an identity shift. It was I an identity shift.
1: Yeah, how I saw myself. Um, and I'd also see myself as a very public person person because you know when I performed I was signing autographs and I was doing interviews and I was out there to a great extent and when I began the writing and I stepped way back behind the scenes I discovered that I was really very comfortable being behind the scenes. I would go out to dinner with celebrity friends and they would be accosted during dinner (laughs) and I would think so grateful that I don't have (laughs) to worry about you know I get on a plane and people don't come over and go you don't know me but
0: well, I love you anyway. Yeah, friends. right, right,
1: right. Could you sign this? Could yeah. you sign this? Is that he framed? Is that cheese you? Because I'd like to move into that seat and talk to you for the next eight hours. Oh, I hear you. Yeah.
0: Dean, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dean about his new book, Captain Nobody. So stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm here with the very talented Dean Pitchford. We're going to talk a little bit now about his role as a novelist and as a writer. Dean, you have written a few books. Yeah,
1: this is my second.
0: The Captain Nobody is the second book. Tell us about the first book and how this part of your writing career sort of happened. What inspired you to start writing
1: Well, books? you you asked earlier about the most difficult change in my life. Um, the most difficult moment in my life was the impetus for writing my first novel. And that is, uh, I'd had the idea for The Big one uh, for a number of years, and I had not really even thought about writing novels. And then uh, in 2001, uh, my younger sister was killed in the World Trade Center. And when she was, she left a nine-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. And she and my brother-in-law had made me their legal guardians before this had all happened. And I suddenly was suddenly thrust in the position of, I might have to be a parent. And so I began flying back and forth from, to New York, although we'd always had a great relationship, great relationship. And my sister was my best friend in the world. I began to try to figure out ways to more closely bond with my niece who's very, very bright and is about to graduate from Hunter High School and go off to college. And so I thought maybe that there was a way in which if I wrote a book we could look at that together. And so I took this idea which was appropriate for her age group and I wrote my first novel. And in the course of this I found an agent and I sent the first draft of The Big One-O to my niece. And she read it and I, I said, Are you, you have some thoughts? And she said, I do. I said, Don't don't tell me over the phone. And I flew to New York and I sat down with her and she said, It gets a little slow here and I didn't understand. Very interesting, very intelligent, very kid no. Was she? she was nine, nine going on ten, probably ten, ten by that time. And so I made changes according to her thoughts and my agent's thoughts, and three weeks later we sold the book and uh, dedicated it to my sister. And so that was uh, That was a, a painful reason to make a transition, but once I had, I found myself decided I can do this i don 't have to go to lunch with studio bosses i don 't have to sit through network meetings i don 't have to spend all night in a recording studio drinking terrible coffee. I can write wherever I want to write. So that's what led to my pushing so forward. The big
0: one-o book, who, who is that book for?
1: This is Young Adults. It's uh, middle grade, 9 to 14. And uh, that one we had a fantastic, we went through three printings, the paperback rights were sold to Scholastic, it was picked up all around the world by sub-publishers, it was, the audiobook rights were bought by Listening Library, and then they hired me to read it, and then last f- uh, December I got a Grammy nomination for yeah. Best Spoken Word Recording. Wow. So it was the, the, full, the full ride.
0: Um, tell us about the new book, Captain Nobody. Where did the idea for this
1: come from? Well, the funny thing is Captain Nobody was, it was, it, it sort of dealt with this impulse that I had that there are unsung heroes in all of us. And when, as I was writing the book, I th- was finding that it was emotionally very easy to access and only by the end of it did I suddenly realize what, that it was my story. And I'll explain that. Captain Nobody is the story of a 10-year-old boy who has an 18-year-old brother who is a sports hero and the 10-year-old has always grown up in the shadow of his big brother. And he's quite used to being... He loves his big brother a lot, but his older brother gets knocked into a coma at the climactic football game of his senior year, and the parents rush to the brother's bedside, and this 10-year-old is left to fend for himself. And Halloween is coming up, and his two best friends come over, and they make him a costume, cobbled together by bits bits of pieces of his brother's old gym clothes. And he becomes this character. There's Captain Nobody with a cape and floppy shoes and old gym pants. And he begins to, without even thinking, becomes to uh, do heroic things. He stops crime, he saves lives. And all he, he's trying to do is hold his family together. And I realized that Over the years, i would met many people who, very young, there had been a tragedy in their lives, in their families. And quite without ever deciding to, they just fell into the position of becoming the the family's hero, the little savior. And it wasn't, like I said, until I finished this book that I realized that uh, that was my story. Because the day after I graduated from eighth grade, I was 11, and my father left and moved 5,000 miles away. And my parents didn't get divorced yet. And I harbored this feeling that I could save the marriage. And I began doing things like taking my allowance money and buying flowers and bringing them to my mother and saying my father had sent them. I would write to my father a month in advance of my mother's birthday, and I'd say, don't forget, mom's birthday is November. So I was sort of like doing what I could. And it didn't work. didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) The marriage didn't happen again. But... Um, I have met several people over my life, the course of my life who, rather than having a kind of like, oh, how sad for your reaction, it really was the moment at which we sort of like shifted gears and went, Vroom, and shifted into high gear and became more than we ever thought we might be. And that was my light bulb moment. And uh, New- Newman in Captain Nobody has his own light bulb moment.
0: Do you, I know one of the things I was reading about was the importance of just teaching, especially young boys at that age, yeah. communication skills, how to communicate not only with parents but with their friends. Where do you feel we're at with the whole communication thing right now? It feels like none of us really are communicating anymore. No,
1: it's unfortunate because every, with every advance in technology, we become much more self-sufficient, much more insular, with the earbuds in place and the iPods in place. Um, and I think that the the next I hope big wave in education you know the the last big wave was getting everybody a computer putting computers in the classroom and putting everybody uh, making accessible to the internet and that I honestly th- hope that the next wave is going to be step away from the screens put down your iPods let's communicate and what I'm discovering with the the book tours that I've done for Captain Nobody and the Big one is that people, kids especially, still respond to a story. They still respond to sitting around a circle and having somebody tell them a story. And that doesn't get old, you know, whether it's uh, sitting around a campfire or sitting around on carpeted floors, we are still caught up in each other's journeys. Um, And I'm hoping that we'll come back to that because that's what creates a society.
0: What would you tell parents who are watching this?
1: I would say talk as much as you can, don't allow television at the dinner table, don't allow television in the bedroom. Uh, You know, there are all kinds of ways in which without realizing it, parents put a TV in the bedroom because it's sort of a babysitter for the kids and they go in there and it's out of their hair. Um, I would say turn off the devices, set a schedule, sit and talk to them, make those moments, Uh, talk. It's valuable.
0: Tim, why do you feel so many people feel like nobodies today? They just feel they don't matter. What they're doing isn't important. Their relationships, they don't really... Why do so many of us, you know, if we were honest, think that we're nobodies?
1: I think it has to do... What's missing? You know what, it's not this. what's missing. I think we're all who we were. What's happened is the internet and television have brought us... Uh, A a notion, a mistaken notion, a false notion of what how everybody else's life is. You know, you pick up People magazine, and everybody's coiffed and beautiful, and it looks like those kids in Hollywood are going out fourteen nights a week. They are never. You know, when do they film their television shows? When do they make Gossip Girl? And so, if you start holding up what you are doing against that people start to, as a friend of mine once said, don't judge your insides by my outsides. Don't do that to yourself. And I've tried to live by that, where I and I have people come to me and say, oh my gosh, what a glamorous life you have. It just must be so... And I only do schlub, schlub, schlub. The fact is, I do schlub, schlub, schlub all the time. And once in a blue moon, I get out, you know, put on a decent pair of pants and go out and do an interview for something. But for the most part... I, I scale back, I've, I've lo- learned to love scaling back, and I, I want to say to people, no, 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 bring down your expectations. You're fulfilling those expectations. You really are. Just don't measure yourself against an impossible standard. And because we are being bombarded with images on the internet, on television, on the magazine stands, and we're going, gosh, I should look like him or her, and I should really be thinner. That's, I think, what makes for people thinking, gosh, I'm really nobody. And it really isn't the case.
0: Dean, for people who, who are thinking about buying the book, is this for boys? Is it for girls? Is it for both? Is
1: it uh, Captain Nobody is a book for both. Okay. Um, what we're finding, the thing is that girls are sort of like automatic readers. Girls love to read. And when, we first, when I first started publishing my novels and getting reviewed, I became familiar with the phrase reluctant reader. Well, reluctant reader is the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, euphemism for boys. And it basically says, this is what your, your challenge. Get to the reluctant readers and you've got the whole spectrum. And both with Captain Nobody and the Big One-O, oh, the reviews have been over the top about the appeal to the reluctant readers. So it has been appealing to both.
0: Dean, share with us what you think is going to come next. Is it another song, another book? Are you taking time off? Oh, you, no, what is no, no, it? no.
1: I've actually just signed contracts for a third book. And the other thing that I'm very excited about is that um, Michael Gore, the, my collaborator on Fame, with whom I wrote Fame, and um, Larry Cohen, who wrote the screenplay of the motion picture Carrie, um, 20 years ago we wrote a musical based on Carrie, which uh, opened in England and came to New York and didn't last for very long. Um, but due to renewed interest and the participation of a very exciting director and producers, we are doing an enormous amount of work on it and I'm in town actually casting for a reading which will happen before Thanksgiving. Mm. So that's, uh, you know, it's a journey that I took uh, 10 years ago when I brought Footloose to Broadway. And it was the most fun I think I'd ever had because it, got, it allowed me to combine my writing with my first love, which was Broadway. And when that was over, I thought, well, that was great. I can't imagine I'll ever come back to do this again.
0: And you're here. Here we I like, am. We like uh, having you in New York. Oh, thank you. Dean, here's my last question. Because we're a show and a company really all about change. Yeah. What does a change in the world that you would like to really see happen? Like, what, what's, what's the cause that pulls on your heartstrings? What is, what's the bigger change that you'd like to see happen?
1: I'm hoping that with all the downsides, I mean, there's a great deal that's good about the internet, but there are also, like we, saw, we talked about downsides, it hypes up people's expectations, it distracts people, it turns them into couch potatoes, but my ferventest hope is that the real change that's going to happen is that people all over the world get to see people all over the world in a way that they haven't seen them before. And I think we're beginning to see that happen. Um, we, and, and have that moment where people go, I never thought of them as people. I, ne- I didn't know that they had children and concerns and birthdays and hurts and wants. Um,
0: life changes.
1: Yeah, life changes. Life changes. And I think that we have been so, in this country especially, conditioned to thinking about America and all the rest of the world. And I think what we're now becoming aware of is that there are living, breathing, sentient souls all over who are feeding us fabulous information and interested in our information. And it's that two-way street that I'm hoping for. Beautiful.
0: Dean, what a pleasure to have you on the show. What a treat. My pleasure. Thank Thank you, you. For Dean's work and uh, his his latest book, Captain Nobody, and also his first novel, The Big One-O, that we talked about, please visit his website at deanpitchford.com. And stay tuned for more exciting things to come out of this creative genius, I'm sure. For other interesting interviews, amazing experts, change agents, please visit us on the web at changenation.com. Thanks for listening and thanks for watching.